Welcome to Lionheart Talks, a series of podcasts from Lionheart. Hello and welcome to the Lionheart Talks podcast. This six-part series is all about well-being and on this episode we'll be focusing on social anxiety. I'm Jo Grant. Today we have Lionheart counsellor and CBT therapist Bernadette Antonio joining us. Bernie, would you like to tell us a little bit about your experience as a counsellor and how long you've been at Lionheart? Hi Jo, thanks for having me here and and having the opportunity to talk about uh, social anxiety. I've been with Lionheart um, nearly 11 years now. My original training was as a a counsellor, a person-centred counsellor, and then I went on to to work towards my accreditation. So um, accreditation is like becoming chartered, that's the easiest way to explain it. So we have certain criteria that we have to meet in order to um, receive that accreditation. Uh, And then a number of years later, I went on to do a postgraduate in cognitive behavioural therapy, CBT. And um, and then I combined those different ways of working with the clients that I work with. Um, prior to being with Lionheart, I spent some time working at the Terence Higgins Trust, which was working with clients that were living with HIV. And I also have worked for a, a couple of um, charities as a volunteer as well. Thanks, Bernie. So you said, oh, we said today you're here to join me to talk about uh, social anxiety. Is this something you come across a lot in your role? Yes, um, I'm not sure of the the most recent statistics. It was sort of one in eight people that struggle with social anxiety. So many, many years ago, somebody may have said, you know, it's it's shyness or extreme shyness, um, but actually it's one of the most common anxiety disorders. That's really interesting. And I think there's possibly elements of social anxiety that people perhaps feel in certain situations. Um, I know that's not the the full extent and by no means trying to be dismissive of um, of somebody that really is affected by social anxiety, but I'm sure there's sort of relatable elements to this anxiety disorder. Yes, yeah. So I think the the best place to start with uh, with today's podcast is to look at what the term social anxiety actually means. So maybe you could perhaps start with a, a little bit of a definition for us, Bernie. Yeah, absolutely. So so social anxieties is a fear of social situations, a fear of being judged negatively by others. Um, so this could be meeting new people, going to parties, gatherings, uh, public speaking, going into um, a busy area. So this could be going shopping or to a supermarket. So so really, you know, the bottom line is is that fear of being judged negatively by others how others perceive them. What might that look like or feel like to somebody that is struggling with social anxiety? To others, they may perceive the person to be shy or reserved, which, you know, lots of people are, we're we're all very different. Um, But for the anxious person, so for the person that's really struggling with social anxiety, they may avoid eye contact, they may use their mobile phone as a way of of not wanting to be noticed or they might hold something in their hand to steady themselves. They may avoid um, invitations and gatherings. They may think that others can see them blushing or trembling or sweating, whereas actually they may not be, but the focus is so inward for that person that they, you know, their focus of attention is just on them and how they feel that they're coming across to others. So it can be really debilitating. Yeah, as you say, that sounds like it could be a debilitating 
um, condition for somebody and affects so many different areas of their life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they tend to mask their anxiety by using what we call safety behaviours or coping mechanisms, you know, like, like the things I've just mentioned about, you know, avoiding eye contact. For example, in the workplace, you know, they may avoid sort of interacting with their colleagues, they may go to lunch by themselves. Um, in an educational setting, um, they may sort of stay on their own and not interact with others. The anxiety can feel so overwhelming that that anxiety stops them from being able to take in information in that educational setting, if that makes sense. So it, it has an impact on their learning and that, you know, and, and their education. Um, so yeah, it, it affects so many parts of their life, and you know they don't, you know they don't tend to have many friendship groups, or you know it could be just one friend or two friends, because they're losing out really on that that social interaction. And when would social anxiety usually start? Is it something that can be spotted or noticed in children, or is it more likely to be developed as a teenager or as a young adult as someone gets older? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of factors really, you know, um, so people with social anxiety might have relatives who are anxious or shy, you know, there could be, you know, just have a general shy disposition themselves as a child, you know, things like critical parenting can have an impact on on a child being socially anxious as well. And the main onset can be as, as, as really as a teenager, you know, so, um, you know, they can grow out of it, but it depends on those precipitating factors that continue on in life. So, um, you know, if somebody's socially anxious, you know, they're more prone to being bullied, um, which then compounds the problem. Or if they've been humiliated in public, this just adds to it. And, you know, if it's not treated early on, it can go on for years. And, and, and people that, that struggle with social anxiety don't tend to ask for help until later on in life because the social anxiety really stops them from going to see the GP or going into the doctor's surgery or having to have that one-to-one -one conversation with the GP. So, you know, it, it can go on for a long time before it gets picked up. Yeah. I guess if it takes people a while to go and see their GP about it, then in the process they're developing their own coping mechanisms or their ways of dealing with situations maybe avoiding yeah, situations. This, absolutely. And this, these are what we call the maintaining factors. This is what keeps the problem going. You know, what we call the maintenance cycle. You know, a person with social anxiety will, will start to have what we call um, coping strategies or um, safety behaviours that help them manage day-to-day -day life. So, you know, some of the things that we've mentioned already, you know, not accepting invitations, yeah. um, you know, so, and, and then that can lead to low mood because especially, you know, as a younger person, they feel that they're losing out on, on their, what should be the best years of their life because they're so anxious, they feel that they can't go to social gatherings or if they do go to social gatherings, you know, it would be quite common that they may um, maybe try and have a few drinks to help settle their anxiety um, yeah. which can lead to you know them drinking too much to try yeah. and cope which is another problem in itself um, so there's you know these um, safety behaviors coping mechanisms 
help them manage these situations but actually um, it just keeps the problem going it maintains the problem so what we try and do um, we'll come on to that after but you know um, what we try and do is to to help the person start to reduce these coping mechanisms so that they start to experience themselves that they don't need to have these safety behaviors in place to be able to cope in life um, but we'll okay, come on to this after yeah we could we can mm. look at that in a little bit more detail i think as we get through the yeah. the podcast can't yeah. we mental health just generally is such a complex subject isn't it and it's something that we still it's still taking time to understand lots of people don't know that there are different types of anxiety or you know what they call anxiety disorders but you know there's lots of things there's general anxiety there's social anxiety there's OCD there's post-traumatic stress and lots of people you know don't realize there are lots of different areas of anxiety and social anxiety is you know one of the most common ones Okay, so we've talked a little bit there about how this might affect somebody in their day-to-day life, how it might affect friendships, how it might affect socialising and really have quite an impact on somebody as they grow up. But what yeah, about as yeah. their, what about in their working life or does it and how might it have an effect on their career as well, I guess? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it's a good question. In the workplace, you know, they, you know, somebody that, that struggles with social anxiety would be, you know, maybe less likely to ask for help, you know, if they were working on a project, you know, they just try and sort of uh, muddle along themselves um, for fear that they might be judged negatively or fear that, you know, maybe their manager thinks that they can't do the job properly. They may not inter- interact as much with, with the colleagues within meetings they may be less likely to speak up or would maybe, um, you know, avoid eye contact so nobody asks them a question. They may not put themselves forward for, you know, promotion and they may be quite likely to stay in the same job for many, many, many years for fear of going to an interview and that performance anxiety that comes with going into an interview. So, you know, they could stay in the same job because they may not progress as well as somebody else would in in their careers. And that then, you know, forms another cycle of, you know, feel that they're losing out in life and that can cause low mood. That's really interesting. I really hadn't thought about all of the ways that someone could be affected by this. I guess the perhaps struggling to speak up in meetings, I might have thought about, but the the way it might affect someone's career development, stop them putting themselves forward for promotion and or looking for a yeah, different absolutely. job because of the fear of interviews really mm-hmm. something i hadn't considered yeah it's something that we take for granted isn't it that you know um, we're working in a job we might want to climb the ladder we might want to go somewhere else and and for somebody else you know yes you know you are going to have a certain amount of anxiety in an interview but somebody with social anxiety wouldn't you know just the thought of just applying for a job it's just easier to stay where they are with what they know and then they lose out on those, you know, those opportunities. You've talked a little bit there about how someone's work life might be impacted. I guess what people listening now might be interested to know is how, how you approach treating somebody that, that's come to you and is affected by social anxiety. Well, you know, the first thing we, you know, we want to try and understand is what are the maintaining factors? So what's keeping the problem going? And, you know, what keeps the problem going is what we call those safety behaviours or those those coping mechanisms. So, um, so avoidance, 
lack of eye contact, withdrawing from social situations, not interacting, they're the maintaining factors. Okay. You know, we start to look at, you know, what's keeping the problem going. Mm -hmm. And then we start to learn to challenge those. So first of all, we look at the client and, and what their what their negative thoughts are about the situation and start to help them to learn to identify these negative patterns of thinking and start to challenge them. So what we call cognitive restructuring. So um, we get them to understand what negative th thoughts they're having about the situation and how can they start to think about this differently. We'd also look at things like relaxation techniques. This could be mindfulness or it could be certain breathing techniques to help keep them calmer in certain situations. But um, what one of the, the really great things that tends to help is getting the client to challenge themselves in these social situations. So for example, if somebody has a fear of speaking up in meetings or a fear of avoiding, you know, of, of, of making eye contact, we might say, okay, so maybe next time you go to the meeting, let's up, set up an experiment so that maybe two or three times in that meeting, you might make eye contact with your colleagues, let's say two or three times during that meeting and let's see what, what the outcome is. And then gradually build on that, you know, so maybe the next time they go into a meeting, they might make eye contact, you know, for a little bit longer. And the next time they may ask a question or maybe um, interject on something. And all the time they're recording, you know, what the outcome was. And it just starts to build confidence. Various things, so for example, if somebody, uh, quite common with social anxiety, people have a fear of, of people might notice that they're blushing or going red. Okay. So we might set up um, an online presentation where um, we have lots of people that come in on that Zoom meeting and the client may decide that they want to talk about a subject of their choice. Right. And um, so we get them to do a mini presentation about that subject. But then we get them to um, prepare a series of questions that we put out to the rest of the audience that, that are in on that presentation. And those questions might be, um, did I go red when I was talking? Did I stutter my words? What was my eye contact like? Did you notice that I was shaking? What did my voice sound like? So those um, questions and it, decided by the... By the by client, client himself, yeah. So it, it gives them an opportunity to ask their audience. Yes, yeah. Right, yeah. I get it. So it's linked to and, their concerns. And then the audience then. And that's so right. relevant specifically to that person and their situation. Yeah, so they set up the questions that they would like to ask their audience. They do their presentation right. and then the audience then will ask. And it's all it's all anonymous. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we, we, we gather that information and give that back to the client. So it's what they start to see is that the way they they believe they're perceived is yeah. not actually what other people see. And it can be really quite powerful. Okay. Um, that experiment and it's a big ask of a client to do that because that's that's a big fear for them so it takes you know sort of having a good trust with with your therapist and and you know and, and really trusting in that relationship for them to be able to to actually put themselves forward to do that so it might um, take time to build up to that absolutely that yeah yeah. Um, also, you know, what we ask clients to do is to gradually drop those safety behaviours. So, you know, we talked about not making eye contact. 
Um, so maybe get themselves to sort of, you know, just look up and have a look around for a couple of seconds. We might say, you know, next time maybe you go into a public place or in a gathering, you don't use your mobile phone, you know, and uh, just, you know, have a look around the room. Um, because people with social anxiety feel that, you know, everybody's looking at me, they'll think I'm weird, they'll, they'll notice that I'm anxious, uh, or they think I'll look awkward. These are just some examples. Yeah, but, guess... but actually, they they don't get the chance to disprove that because they, you know, the fear of looking around the room feels so debilitating to try. So what we do is say, you know, okay, so just for a couple of seconds, you know, maybe the next time you go, you could just have a look around the room and just see how many people are looking. And and actually, what they learn is that people are just getting on with their own stuff. Nobody's really taking any notice. So they might try it again for a little bit longer. And as time goes on, they start to gain a little bit more confidence and they start to disprove their predictions that everybody's looking at them. That sounds like it could be quite a big task, especially if you've been dealing with social anxiety for a long time. Bernie, in your experience, how many sessions does it take for someone's confidence to start to grow and their feelings of anxiety to start to reduce? And that, that varies really, Joe. Um, you know, obviously, as well as each therapy session, with with CBT, there is a commitment to do homework outside of the session, so in, in between sessions. And, and obviously, if somebody's really committed to, to the homework and really engaged, you know, they're going to recover a lot, a lot quicker. You know, so, for example, the homework might be, you know, those behaviour experiments that we talked about or challenging negative thoughts or practising making eye contact, relaxation techniques. This is the homework that we're talking about. Okay. So the more committed and engaged somebody is, obviously, the, you know, the quicker we'll, we'll, we'll see them you know, recover and get better and, and grow in confidence. And we work as a team, you know, it's in collaboration. Myself and the client, you know, it's, it's teamwork together you know, and, and, and a good working relationship. As we come to the end of today's podcast, I want to ask you a final question, and that's what advice would you give to someone listening to this that thinks that sounds like me or I can relate to that? Okay, so, well, first of all, I'm in absolute admiration of everyone that makes contact with us. It's a big ask and it takes real courage. I think what I would say is, um, you know, drop us an email or just make that initial call and hopefully after hearing this podcast today people realize this this is very common it's something that we work with a lot so it's just taking that initial step and let's work together to help you feel better we want you to remember lionheart counseling is available for free to rics professionals and their partner or spouse with our in-house counselors bernie and mark or if you've been listening to this today you think oh i recognize some of those signs in my teenager Remember, we're also able to offer counselling support to teenagers of RICS professionals through our partnership with Open Door Counselling. So thank you all for listening to uh, Lionheart Talks podcast. If you've been affected by what we've been talking about today, then please do take a look at the Lionheart website to see how we can support you further. I've been your host, Joe Grant, and I've been joined today by our lovely guest, Bernadette Antonio. Thanks so much for joining us on Lionheart Talks and we hope you've enjoyed the episode. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform to hear from us again and don't forget you can find out more about how we're helping surveyors and their families on our website, lionheart.org.uk.